The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase podcast. Patrick Mooney of The Athletic, really good to have you on. How are you today? Good. How have you been, Will? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely. I'm doing pretty well, and I'll just get right off uh, on my very first question, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'll just ask you. I don't really expect an answer, but when do you think the lockout might end? That's the question, right? I mean, I don't have any sort of uh, inside information. I go off what my colleagues report on The Athletic uh, and kind of historical precedent and the nature of deadlines in the baseball industry, so... Uh, I'm not expecting spring training to start on time. I don't think anyone is. Uh, and then you're probably looking at closer towards the end of February, early March, and like maybe a best case report time, right? I mean, we still have uh, a second off season to go, still very wide gaps uh, in this round of collective bargaining. So like, I'm not uh, booking my flight to Arizona or anything like that. I think we're all um, kind of waiting around at this point. Yeah, it definitely feels like, as you said, best case scenario might be like March or who knows, but it does feel like the start of the season would definitely not happen on time, I would assume, because you got to get, like you said, the second part of the offseason, spring training. So it may not even be a full 162, but hopefully sooner than later, obviously. I think lopping off games from the regular season schedule is probably too early at at this point. I think it's just, if you go back to the pandemic season and that was uh, a real kind of bitter battle between owners and players and uh, they got what, like three weeks spring training, Uh, spring training 2.0. So like there's like, they can accelerate things. They can uh, maybe massage a few uh, rules and kind of roster requirements to help kind of get them there so that each side isn't missing out on uh, regular season uh, paychecks or commitments to TV partners and sponsors. But you're right. I mean, it's the question and uh, there's not a whole lot of optimism uh, to hang your head on at this point. So obviously it feels like forever going away, but for those that do remember, of course, the Cubs signed Marcus Stroman as the MLB lockout was about to happen. And, you know, I know like Jed Hoyer and his team were not necessarily expecting to make that move when they did, but they were kind of reacting to the uh, quickly changing free agency market, which I know was based on the lockout happening that teams are trying to make things happen. It was kind of fun just to have all those signings, despite the fact of what was, you know, about to happen. But they got a nice deal done with Stroman for three years and $71 million. Um, I know you were writing about that a little bit. And uh, did you were you surprised maybe by the fact that whether or not it was Stroman or not, that they were kind of making that kind of commitment? I mean, there's a good deal in, ter- in terms of the term, three years. But it kind of re-energized the fan base, as you can see on Twitter, just the reaction and how exciting it seems to be. So kind of a good move, not just on the field, but kind of, I guess... And this Cubs offseason so far, which has been obviously uh, on hold for now. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, that's the type of move that you market towards your fan base, that it sets up other complementary moves to build out your roster. Uh, a guy pre-COVID you could bring out to a Cubs convention and stuff like that. But uh, I think this move was 
largely, like you say, in reaction to, and maybe with a little sense of desperation, like Cubs really needed a lot of pitching and that was flying off the shelves. And I think in one sense, uh, it was uh, telling and a, a positive sign that they didn't overthink this. Like he's a really good pitcher. Uh, they have a lot of money to spend. They didn't have to go five years or give up a draft pick to sign him. But I also think it was kind of rushed for a front office that at times maybe overthinks things or like had these elab- elaborate presentations to free agents and talking about how they followed, you know, this guy for years. And this is just kind of like Stroman getting a call from his agent being like, dude, you got to go to LAX. We got to get you on a red eye flight to Chicago so you can get this physical done before uh, the transactions freeze. So uh, I think it makes sense for both sides. Uh, I think it'll probably wind up being a a two-year commitment, and it really solidifies um, a rotation that was just awful last year. I mean, the Cubs, after the trade deadline, were bad as expected, but a lot of it was due to pitching. And outside of Trevor Williams, they didn't really touch their – starting rotation obviously they did the bullpen but like you know it all starts with pitching and between Stroman Miley and Kyle Hendricks uh, they at least have like a credible you know front three I was curious where you come off on a guy like a Carlos Correa and obviously Stroman was kind of recruiting him on Twitter a little bit but uh, I was curious though like obviously Correa is going to get paid and rightfully so great player all we know what he does but do you feel like the Cubs, because we heard the rumors that he's they might be linked to Correa, do you feel like the Cubs, it would make sense for them to go all in on Correa because obviously he could help them with their contention window or would they be better served maybe utilizing that money? We're talking, you know, $300 million or whatever, some of that anyway, for other players, maybe dole that out across a couple. Like, what do you think might be the best in their best interest? And I know, like, again, with the term, they might be looking more if they could get a guy for, say, six years versus 10 but Correa is probably going to command at least six or more. I mean, does Correa make sense? Absolutely. Like, could you talk yourself into it? Sure. But is that like where the front office is focused on? Like, no. I mean, uh, we can, with all this extra time on our hands during the lockout and without other stuff to kind of distract us, um, you can wonder about shorter terms, opt-outs getting creative but like that's not what happens with 27 year old all-star shortstops like i mean historically speaking and i don't think carlos correa switched representation to scott boris to get like a seven-year deal like scott boris got Corey seager paid he got marcus simeon paid and you know the cubs are not the only team out there with some money to spend, particularly once this new labor deal happens, that historically means owners have a degree of cost certainty and are willing to open up. And a lot of those big market teams were kind of quiet before the transactions free. So I, I think, I know Cubs fans can kind of have this like feedback loop of like, what if this happens? But there are several other teams out there and probably teams that we're not even thinking of that could also make that same case and make a very compelling case to Carlos Correa. Yeah, I uh, I 
just right away thought of the Texas Rangers going after two big stars, and people thought, oh, they got one, they're not going to get the other. Not that they're going to get Correa, but, you know, it's like you said, teams have resources. Uh, the Dodgers, for example, exist, or whoever else out there. I mean, there, the so. pod, remember the Padres traded for Blake Snell, and then it was like, oh, yeah. you know, AJ Pillar's out. No, then they got Darvish like a day or two later. So I, I think teams will have been pretty cooped up for – months here uh, kind of staring at their whiteboard and dreaming up scenarios and yeah uh, i'm sure carlos correa is front of mind for a lot of teams not just the cubs exactly that actually is a great segue because i was going to ask you and i was thinking this morning this might be stupid it's my own thought it might be stupid and you can tell me if it is but i was wondering with the lockout i know like players and teams cannot talk and communicate but doesn't mean a guy like jed hoyer and carter hawkins aren't like getting coffee or whatever they might be doing anyway does the lockout kind of people have time on their hands right now? Does the front office have like, I wouldn't say an advantage, but maybe people have more time to look into certain players or make the case for why this guy would be a great fit. Everybody's got the same time on their hands, but do you feel like, I don't know, let's talk, you know, months from now, we look back and say, Oh, this team got creative because they had all extra time to maybe work out something. Or is that kind of dumb? Because you know, it's just like if we had no lockout, people would still be making things happen on their own anyway. No, it's an interesting thought. I think we'll see. I know the Cubs have, you know, kind of series of meetings scheduled this month. And like you're saying, some of this would be going on anyways. The entire business doesn't stop. Uh, I think from a Cubs perspective, it'd be interesting to see here how a new front office is kind of integrating because there are a lot of new uh figures at the top people in different roles kind of new philosophies trying to be implemented and so that's some of the stuff we've been trying to work on the at the athletic of pinning down uh a couple of things and you know i think ultimately we'll see in the results like i think the cubs have spent a lot of time like talking about their plan or kind of big picture abstract concepts like they're gonna have to prove it on the field and i think this minor league system while the talent base has improved, I think there's a lot that they're going to have to actually show on the field this year. And I think we'll, we'll hear about how they've tried to accelerate some of those processes and um, also take advantage of what still is a lot of money. To, no matter what the budget number is, we don't know, but there's still a lot of room left and a lot of interesting players out there. And how they attack that, I think, is going to be fascinating to see. Yeah, I was curious, uh, you know, whenever the lockout does end, would you anticipate maybe a flurry of signings once it ends? Or it's just hard to say because we got to figure out what the CBA will look like anyway. What's, what do you feel would maybe be the case once it does end, if we might have like a flurry of activity or it might kind of just stall a little bit? Logically, there would have to be a flurry of activity because we're probably going to look at a really compressed uh, yeah. timeline. So, like, I don't know if it's, you know, they announce it and then there's, you know, a ton of signings like the next morning, but there isn't going to be a whole lot of time to be kind of negotiating back and forth. And I think the owners probably see that as an advantage. I think that's why you saw players with options and leverage really force the issue to get that done before the transactions freeze. And so um, I think it's hard to kind of project too much onto this other than uh, you know it'll be 
baseball will be back in the news uh, in a big way after really kind of what's probably going to be an ugly <laughs> labor battle. Uh, I just had to mention this. Uh, in one of your articles, it was the uh, Cubs fan survey results, playoff chances, free agency spending. I just love the line that you had about Cubs fans appear to be very open-minded to Hoyer's approach or at least a little more optimistic than the negativity found on Twitter, Cubs Twitter, because I thought that's so perfect. You know, I get on, I'm on Twitter, I see what feels just like an overwhelming amount of good or maybe bad toxic stuff. And I'm like, this can't be the full pulse of what is out there in reality. But sometimes it just feels like Twitter, it's all negative. So I thought that's such a great line because, you know, Twitter is such a, can be a toxic place. It can be a great place, but it just feels like everybody comes to this one website to yell at or get into these fights or arguments about stuff. So like you put it, there seems to be more of an open-minded approach than you might might otherwise think when you go online sometimes. Yeah, and I think part of it is probably if you're willing to subscribe to The Athletic and take the time to fill that out and are curious in that way, maybe it's a little different uh, segment of the fan base. But also, like, if people are negative on Twitter, I don't have an issue with that. Like, fans can oh, feel yeah. Yeah, how they sure. want to feel and, like, Things haven't been positive around the Cubs. Like it yeah, has been. Right, yeah. They have a bad team and they traded away uh some iconic players. And while a lot of this makes sense on paper, they they still haven't delivered yet. I was like you though, well, I was surprised that it was largely understanding. Uh, I think the Cubs play uh, down in the middle of last season, talking June and July, the way they collapse left like no doubt about what had to happen. There wasn't a whole lot of nuance to that discussion that they, you know, I think and everyone had, I think most people can look at that and realize it had just kind of run its course and they needed to reset, like how you go about that. Uh, maybe you can take issue with, this deal or that, or you can argue about could they have done this or like different kind of sliding doors moments, but overall where they were at end of July last year, uh, there, I don't think there was a whole lot of, um, dispute. About it made that. sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I was going to say, because it was fun in the per first part of the year. It was like May or June. They had won a bunch in a row, yeah. and people were like, maybe they'll be buyers. But I was like, I don't know. Even if you, even if they keep playing well and you buy, you're going to probably lose these guys for nothing. So, Well, they thought they were going to be buyers. I mean, they were, like, they were planning. They might have hedged a little bit, but they were exploring pathways to add talent at the trade deadline last year. And then uh, it was... 11-game losing streak? Was that what it was? I think so. Okay. I think so. Because 12 was afterward. I get my losing streaks mixed up sometimes. I believe it was 11. Know, right? <laughs> right in the middle there, they were in Milwaukee, and they had that uh, bad loss there where Hoyer was like, all right, this is it. This is the tipping point. We're definitely selling, not even entertaining the idea of buying. Yeah. So, obviously, we know, of course, what's happened with this team since, you know, between 2015 and now. Uh, so... I know, like, I understand, like, COVID negatively, and I'm, and I'm not ignoring the greater elephant in the room with COVID, but just from a sports standpoint, what happened with, uh, you know, teams financially, like, I know COVID really impacted the Cubs, for instance, but would you say, like, because I remember... I don't know, after 2018, 2019, we thought bias might get $200 million and, 
you know, they're trying to figure out what guys might get paid what. And then, you know, Brian and Baez have really bad years. And, you know, Baez obviously got a nice deal with Detroit for, I think it was 140, right? But um, I don't know. Like, did that, do you think that, like, I mean, obviously, again, the pandemic affected everybody. So obviously everybody had to deal with it. But would you say that the Cubs, it just really, the direction of the organization, I guess, more or less took a greater hit than it might have? Or is it just because, you know, it's a pandemic, no one could have foreseen that coming. Everyone, again, had to deal with the same situation. Uh, you know, maybe we look back 10 years or a couple of years from now and say, we were glad, it's a good thing the Cubs didn't resign X player and made that trade anyway for other reasons that of course led to that. But do you kind of get what I'm trying to get at there? Yeah. I, I want to answer in like very narrow ways because there is so much like, we'll never know, but bias was, exactly. well, bias yeah. was once particular situation where they were going back and forth, heavily involved in negotiations and offer was on the table. And when you factor in arbitration, salaries during that time what he got from Detroit it's a in the same ballpark like off the top of my head I can't remember exactly more of that but he winds up in roughly the same ballpark but with the Tigers after a couple of years of uncertainty that was one where without a pandemic there's a much more natural back and forth you know if you remember Kyle Hendricks his deal really came down to like almost the end of spring training in March of 2019 i believe yeah i think so yeah that's kind of where those deals get done like you know spring training shut down in 2020 i want to say like march 12th or so yeah 12th or 13th Mm -hmm. whatever it was so you're looking at a significant block of time where they were uh really bearing down to make him a cup for life and so obviously he could have ultimately walked in bed on himself um Perhaps the Cubs would not have, maybe they would have felt like that was close to our best office and offer and it could have fizzled out. We'll never know. But he was he was the guy where they were heavily involved and never really got a chance to see it through. And then I'd say the other trade or the other move, pandemic-related, is the Darvish trade and that um, – Maybe you could have made the case that you sell high on a guy like that after the front office had been criticized for holding on to guys too long. And we know how, you know, those six figure, uh, sorry, nine figure, six year deals for pitchers. So you try and go all in on the front and then you know that there's going to be this uh, downside and that maybe that reset would have, happen but you know pandemic finances played a huge part in that decision and so who knows how they would have looked at the landscape without that i think maybe things would have run their course and they and that they kind of would have said hey let's do this i don't know if and then i guess too i mean would theo still have stayed i i haven't gotten a definitive I don't know for certain on that one. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised either way that if he's still, you know, he's someone who kind of does his own thing and has kind of earned the right to make his own decisions. But without a pandemic, would he have just played out that last year or would have done a different sort of transition? I, 
I don't know, but you know, I'd say those three between Javi, Darvish, and Theo, those are kind of three ones you can point to and wonder this. But you, like you said, you could probably do that for just about every team, every industry, yeah. every walk of life, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I know there's so many things that was going on, but I was kind of wondering what the Cubs, what it was like. Yeah, maybe, obviously, this this really impacted them and maybe even more so negatively impacted them more so than someone else. But, you know, there's so many different things going on. Uh, a few more things, and one of the big things, obviously, I was reading again in one of your articles was, like, the pitching and trying to assess all the injuries going on within the organization and minor league pitchers. And so I guess what I'm curious about is, like, they bring in Carter Hawkins, who has a track record of developing players with the now the Guardians, and uh, they've had a lot of really good pitchers back, you know, in their during their last few years, really, and beyond. But uh, I guess I'm curious. Like, it, it sounds great when they have, like, this – pitch lab and all these different people craig bresla whoever different titles they're all like trying to f- kind of get together and figure out the best course of action i also wonder is it too many cooks in the kitchen like are they all going to have the same flow i mean i guess that's kind of we'll see how that plays out but um it's just it's like i remember it was like a line about like joe madden i think was saying like coaching the coaches to be able to everyone utilizes their specific skill set, but also coaching across the same philosophy. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see if this plays out in their favor in terms of guys ultimately just getting to the show and and sticking as potential, you know, rotation pieces. Yeah. I think it's totally fair to be skeptical and uh, wonder when we're going to see the results and also to question some of the process when the organization's uh, some of the organization's best pitching prospects were injured for the entire year. And there's a lot of circumstance and to that there are variables, there are unknowns, like there's not like one single theory around this, but you know, it's going to be time as the Cubs are doing this kind of reboot here that they're going to have to get more out of their uh, internal pitching systems than they have in the past. And there, there are so many layers to this from changes they made in scouting and drafting to kind of these high performance systems they've put in place. Some of the pitching philosophies you alluded to earlier, Will, and you throw in, no minor league season in 2020. Uh, Some of the challenges around COVID and, uh, you know, the fact that there were kind of disrupted whatever off seasons, the nature of pitching, there's injuries and risks inherent to that. So, you know, I think you can give them time to get things up and running. You can recognize that, they have a lot of interesting arms and talent and uh, what we think of like a competent major league starter, maybe the standards have been lowered a little bit. Uh, John Lester's retirement kind of made me think of that. Like the guy who wins 200 games and makes 30 starts a year for like 11 or 12 years in a row, maybe not, or gets 200 innings on a regular basis. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how they did shape that talent, develop that talent, and also how David Ross ultimately uses those guys 
uh, in the big leagues. Yeah, and I appreciate the proactive approach that they're taking to try to figure it out. And I mean, I'm sure that we will see. I, I mean, we don't know, obviously, yet, but I, I, I feel optimistic that we'll see some gains coming from it, and hopefully sooner than later, but we will see how that does play out. Before I let you go, really fast, just curious, do you feel... I guess, what's the outlook do you feel between Wilson Contreras and the Cubs? Because that's a guy that they have to figure out as well. And then if there's the NLDH, maybe that kind of works into their favor, thinking, okay, we'll pay this guy, but he could also be the DH in a couple of years too, if need be. Yeah, it's funny. Like, that was such a front of mind issue. And then with this lockout, it kind of, you know, um, they signed another catcher, not with the idea that they would trade Wilson, but it was kind of this possibility that they know could happen. Um, I think uh, signing Gomes is something that could really help Wilson. Like if you have someone who's, you know, not a backup, not necessarily a co-starter, but like someone who takes on a significant workload, um, someone who's a veteran who can um, really coexist with Wilson and help develop some of your pitchers. Uh, like you're saying, a DH uh, could help you know, preserve Wilson's body. Um, and really what is a dynamic offensive player. And I think it's been hard on him the way the Cubs have used him. I think this was just kind of recognition. They've been kind of running him into the ground and like, me personally, I think Wilson has a lot to offer in terms of intangibles and leadership and a kind of competitive inner drive that I think is some that is valuable. Uh, but ultimately, I don't have a great sense yet for how much the Cubs value that and how much they're willing to step out of their comfort zone, knowing that you know when they think they can really put the foot on the gas and contend is probably like you know, you're talking maybe 2024, 2025, and where will Wilson uh, be at then? So uh, no doubt he's back where uh, his old teammates were at this time last year. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again for coming on. It was great talking baseball with you. Uh, I really appreciate the time, and I hope that we have baseball, like actual baseball, on the field to talk about soon. Well, thanks for having me on, Will. I really enjoyed it. 